Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast, a deep dive rewatch podcast, spending time with America's favorite radio station, WKRP in Cincinnati. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm his wife, Donna. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the trivia, the characters, and the details that have made WKRP one of America's favorite syndicated sitcoms for nearly 40 years. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, and welcome back to the WKRP cast. So glad you're joining us. Hopefully you've gotten your box set of the Shout Factory DVDs and you're ready to watch along with us. How about it, Donna? You ready to get into it today? I am so ready. Let's tee up what we got today. What are we doing? We are ready for Pilot Part 2. And this episode aired on the 25th of September, 1978. It was written by Hugh Wilson and directed by Michael Zinberg. And you know what I love about this one? It's like just all the stops are pulled off, pedal to the metal, let's get having some fun. Right. This one feels like, because the pilot was all notes and reviews, and we got to talk about it, and we got to have input on it, and we got to have all this information. Had the, a lot of the setup, and. This one, it feels like, okay, we're on the air, let's have some fun. So in this episode, Andy tries to think of a publicity stunt to help publicize the station's new format while upset listeners invade the station to protest the removal of their favorite music. And without even knowing it, Les saves the day by giving Andy an idea for a free publicity stunt. So we start off in the lobby this time around. And Jennifer, once again, playing with the plants. Yes, she's polishing them. Polishing the plants, yes. it looks like. (laughs) And Uh, and there's soft, soothing music playing from the radio (laughs) that's on her desk. Yes. It's classical music, I believe. Yes, and it's such an idyllic scene as she's cleaning the plants and Arthur Carlson walks in and talks to her for a minute. And it's just so serene and gentle. And he wants to know if the soft music is, quote unquote, us. No, this is us. Hang on to your brains, fellow babies. This is Dr. Johnny Fever, and I've got a contest for you. First prize is, you don't have to die. So, Mr. Carlson tells Jennifer he's wanting to see Herb and Andy in his office and to send them in. And Jennifer just keeps polishing plants. This struck me as... Well, and she says, okie-dokie. 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 And he, a couple times, he keeps going through it. Right now, could you go get... She tell them that I want to see them. Just keeps polishing All plants. Right. And this really felt like, and especially when we find out, he walks in the office and they're already there, Jennifer's doing a Radar O'Reilly. In some of these articles that, that we found, all these comparisons where they compare ensemble shows to each other and where you get the different characters that mm-hmm. kind of correlate from one to the other. I think this right here, this is Jennifer's Radar O'Reilly. She's always, just like Radar was always two or three steps ahead of Henry Blake, Jennifer is ahead of Mr. Carlson. She's already got it covered, so she doesn't have to stop playing with her plants. Now, was MASH playing at this time? Was MASH it, was at the same time. It, it was, was happening at the same, same time, time, but it had been on a few years. It was really hitting... Its peak of popularity, it had gotten to now uh, Harry Morgan. Okay. So it, it had really kind of evolved, and it had hit that point where it was a big ratings juggernaut. So it had been pretty established by this point. But then also the, the other comparison that WKRP gets a lot of times is Gilligan's Island. And Jennifer's Ginger and Bailey's Marianne. Oh, and, I can see that. And uh, Mr. Carlson is the skipper. Mama is both Lovey and Thurston. She's the wealthy one. And it falls down really fast. But then Gilligan is a combination. It's Les and Herb. Okay. They're, Gil- they're Gilligan together. <laughs> it takes together. two of them to make a Gilligan. And he's the professor. So there are those overlays and All those right. things where you and, take them back and forth. And you talked the last time about how it was compared to the Mary Tyler Moore show. It's, it's got a lot of comparisons to Mary Tyler Moore and being a, a Mary Tyler Moore production. You know, right. It's got those crossovers. So While we're still in the lobby... 
Right. We notice on the back wall the coverage map has changed significantly. Oh, yes. And no longer says 50,000. The 50,000 watt, which would be totally unbelievable for a station of the stature of WKRP, is now a much more believable 5,000 And all through this episode, you get several shots of that map. They seem to hit it pretty hard. They do. All right. So we head on into the big guy's office. Right. He walks into his office, Mr. Carlson does, and Andy and Herb are already there and waiting for him. And and he's kind of confused at first. He does a double take, looks back at the door. And what it was is he had asked uh, Jennifer to have them sent to his office first thing in the morning. Yeah, so he did it the it night before. And totally forgotten about it. And there's something, there's a name that he, he calls Herb. Herb. What yeah. does he call Herb? Get out of that chair, Jughead. But what's funny is Herb's all ready to get this meeting going and says, could we get to the point here? Okay. <laughs> Herb, I think we're going to have to let you go. Yeah, and he's like, why, why? Well, <laughs> there are no sales, and you're the sales manager. There must be a connection there. Yeah, so. yeah it must be a connection. So, and, and Herb uh, points the finger at Andy. We've got a new feature here. Oh, that's right. How did I forget this? Herb Darling, fashion alert. All right, can we talk just about Herb's sport coat? I know everything else is amazing, the tie, the... But this sport coat. I know you're wanting one just like I, it. for my birthday, I can <laughs> find one. Oh, Herb man. Herb is wearing a dark plaid suit. But the and the sports coat has pocket flaps that are light yellowish, tannish. They, they look like match. kid skin or yes, something. Yes. You said suede. They I look thought like it suede. was a light, light material suede. But, but it's I'm such not a sure. huge contrast to the dark coat. But he's got two side pocket flaps that are light yellow, tannish that match a pocket the breast pocket flap, flap. on the breast pocket. Then, well, I, at first I thought it was a pocket square, but it's... Then he's got around the collar of yes. the coat, down onto the lapels, it's got the yellow highlight. It's just, it's, and it's. Did we mention the elbow patches? Oh, and the elbow patches. The elbow no, patches. we've got the elbow patches. It is uniquely herb. Yes, it is. And and I know that it, this doesn't bother you as much as me, but he was wearing a striped tie. Yeah. Which bothered me with the plaid suit. But really, compared to that coat, the striped tie is such a minor infraction. You know, it's <laughs> the, the coat is the star of this episode. And. This coat comes back. We're going to have to keep an eye out on this coat. Oh, it this makes, is obviously it a favorite of Herb. It shows up in other episodes. So. All right. Well, yes. that that was the... Herb Darling, fashion alert. All right. So Herb deflects the firing, points out Andy's the reason for the losses, and then he whips out the client list of all the clients they've lost since they made this change over to rock and roll. Shady Hills Rest Home. Yeah, yes. which we met Shady Hills last time, but they're gone now. What happens when I can no longer feed myself? <laughs> Serenity Savings and Loan, which is just the name of that. That is a savings and loan for old people. Old people. Is what they're saying right there. And And another thing for old people. Rolling Thunder European regularity tonics gone. (laughs) I didn't know about this. Well, it's something that old people take. I mean, the client. I want to point something out in this scene. Um We've been watching these multiple times, and we'll go through and get story and get character, but then we start looking at details. And I'm fascinated by Art's desk, so I'm always looking at his desk, see what's on it. Well, in this scene, we can very clearly see a pipe caddy and two flags in a small stand. And we got to looking at the flags. One of them is is the Stars and Stripes. The other is the State of Ohio Burgee which is a triangular banner that is the official state flag of Ohio. And it is an actual banner. It's, it's a it's triangle. triangle, and it's got the little notch cut out at the end. But very very cool looking. It's red, it white, is. and blue, and it's got a nice, and nice angles to it. Flag. So that's on Art's desk. Now, this comes up a little later. We're going to hit a scene where this stuff disappears, and we got a theory on that. So, so and, and it's supposedly, in the show, it's the same it's, day. It's like, yeah, yeah, within hours a of you know, walking hours in and out. Later, but, right. but we hit a point where it's where its office is really very different. We're going to point that out. And, and, oh, and another part of this that I happened to notice when they first walked in, and it became more obvious to me later, and then when it moved, it made me really go, hold on a minute. If you look to the left of the door in Art's office, there's a wall speaker, and it's a monitor speaker. Right. Very common to find in radio stations. That's how you're always you're listening everywhere in the building to what's on the air. Well, you also see those in other businesses, and they're very commonly the the volume knob is always on the bottom. Well, they've got this one jammed down on the wainscoting, so if there's a volume knob under there, you can't reach and get it. And I 
just saw it over somebody's shoulder, over Herb's shoulder or whatever, and I thought, oh, you'd never be able to use that on the wainscoting like that. Well, we also notice it moves. Any, you didn't mention anything about it until you until noticed I saw it move. later. Until it was, I saw it move, and then it, it became... It was not and, in the same spot. And that was really the, the thing, I think, not. that made me catch the other detail. But we'll get to that in just a okay. minute. So, I, so just wanted to set that up. We're, we're taking a look at this stuff in Art's office. So Andy is talking to Mr. Carlson, wanting to do some, some type of publicity stunt to promote the new music format. Well, at first he wants to put it on somewhere paid and mr carlson will not give money no money he there. wants and he wants he to run newspaper to ads he wants to get on tv right. bus panels and you know, mr. benches carlson says nope as long as you do something that's free yeah if you can find something free yeah so andy said well we got to come up with a publicity stunt uh and and art's like congratulating him so i was like get on that let's do that and i was like well it's not that easy hey Andy, if it was easy the big guy would do it am i right sir we move to andy's office and he's in there, and Johnny is in there, too, sleeping on the couch. Of course. And Andy's talking to him, and finally, and he says, Johnny, Johnny. He wakes know, him up. Let's, let's think said, of something. We need a publicity stunt. We've got to think of something. Johnny's not buying it, because Andy wants the publicity stunt to make make the station successful. Right. Well, Johnny's been at successful stations before, and he's got an argument with that. Let's suppose that this great idea works, and the station starts making a lot of money. Do you know what that can lead to, Andy? <laughs> Memos. In the programming office, and we're talking two weeks later now in KRP world, but we're actually about five months later now since the first episode was shot. So they've had a chance to do some decorating in Andy's up in uh, Andy's office, and we're kind of keeping an eye on what he's got up there in the way of posters. Um, we saw the ELO Big Night poster yes if you look to the far left of the back wall all the way there's a little alcove behind the coffee urn elo's big night poster is in there now and that was a 78 promo poster and then on the back wall to the right side of the filing cabinets i caught a glimpse of it and i said "Ooh, look at that poster and i thought <laughs> i it. thought it was michael jackson and it looks and, like it it looks it, like it for a second i, I went oh yeah <laughs> And without that? even thinking, I said, oh, that's Michael Jackson. Well, and then I thought, hold on a minute, 1978, we don't get Thriller Michael Jackson, which you said, oh, his hand's and up, said, there's a glove. Like he's got a glove on that looks hand. Like he's got the glove. That's Thriller right. Michael Jackson, which we don't get until after the Motown special in the 80s. This Michael Jackson in 78 would have been off the wall Michael Jackson and the and the, the big hair Michael Jackson, much different look to Michael than he was on Thriller. Right. So we looked a little more closely, and this the tie, the echo, the connection just kills me. It was Elvis. Well, you know, Elvis, the king Michael of rock, Jackson, the king of pop. Alike, <laughs> Michael married Elvis's daughter. Oh, there's what, a huge connection the there. Connection. there. The king is. of rock, the king of pop, and we and we're seeing it going. Is that Michael Jackson? <laughs> no, it was Elvis from the '68 comeback special with right. his head turned sideways. He's in the leather suit. He has one arm up. He looked a little like Michael Jackson. It was weird. <laughs> it was weird, but but the but the. Uh, Sideburn. You, that's what. When we figured it out, yeah. The, it's like, the, oh, now I see the, the wedge on the side of his face, which you could have thought was like the hat tilted down, is really the sideburn. And we, and we saw right. that. So. so it's so, a lot of fun checking out Andy's wall because the posters do change pretty regularly. And I get excited when I see a poster up there and I'm like, hey, you know. I had that in my bedroom yeah. Yeah. <laughs> back when I was at this time I was in high school. And, yeah. Well, and we were looking at the, the Big Night poster is the. There was a big deal in the late 70s, all these big arena rock bands doing spaceships in all their stuff. And the ELO logo is a spaceship, and it reminds me of the Boston album, which had all the guitars that were spaceships that were lifting off from right, Earth as, it ex- right. as it's exploding. And so it's kind of a cool throwback to the 70s. It's very definitely a 70s-looking poster. But if you think the posters are fun... What's happening, white folks? Here comes Venus. Venus. Now we're ready for some fun. We almost need a, a wardrobe uh, <laughs> report for Venus. Venus Sartorial walks in. perfection is oh, here. Uh, he is sharp. He looks sharp. He walks in and he's got a, a white suit on. It's a white ensemble. Suit with a cape, a hat, and a cane. Yeah, I had to come downtown and have my suit worked on. Uh, it's Italian. Oh, I guess an outfit like that's in the shop most of the time. Huh? <laughs> I got suits I can't even get parts for. And something that they always had as a challenge, 
because Venus is the nighttime guy and Johnny is the morning guy, you had to come up with reasons to get Venus in the station during the day, which he normally never would be there. Usually the nighttime guy doesn't know anybody at the station because he comes in after everybody's gone, all the sales staff's right. gone, all so the management's gone. So they give him gone. an excuse to be there. To get his suit worked on. <laughs> Tim Reed's got such a kind of this little glint and his little fun, you know, he's... He's playing the character of right. Venus. Gordon Sims is playing the character of Venus, and we're seeing him have fun with this just being, you know, just bombastic and just, just so over the top and just with this little impish grin, you know, this little and, glint and in his didn't eye. did they give Tim Reed kind of a, a, some leeway to play with this character Lot, and do uh, what he thought? Yeah, yeah. And, as, and later, I mean, early on, Venus is really just kind of an image. He's not so much, you're not filling in the man behind the image. You're just getting this image of this guy, you know, this really larger-than-life character. And what, what Tim Reed wanted to do was give this guy some backstory and give him some roots and some grounding in the world. And Hugh Wilson was very amenable to that. He's like, ah, it sounds like fun. Let's do that. And if you want to do that, Tim Reed wound up writing some Venus episodes. So he had a lot of input. But... But right now, Venus is the Italian suit, and man, does All he right. have fun with it. But it gets him into the office. And he looks good like that, Oh, he looks too. awesome. So now he can be part of the discussion, because here comes Bailey. Excuse me, Andy, uh, am I interrupting anything important? So she has an idea about a river raft race. And when she comes in, I know I've, I've told you this before, but she's meek, and she's kind of nervous, and she's always going from side to side. And I always said, it looks like she needs to go to the bathroom. Yeah, it's her, and every it's her episode, nervous tick. she's just so nervous. She, it's like, it looks like, show her where the bathroom is. Well, and she it's kind of a, a rock forward and back. She leans in and back and leans and in and back. And she always walks a little forward. Uh, and, uh, and very uh, hesitant. And yeah, but she's doing that meek, right. the meek, shy, really. So but, she's talking about a river raft race that, like this other station does. In Atlanta. Well, there's a station in Atlanta that sponsors the raft race. Maybe we should do something like that. That is a little shout out, a little nod to... Jerry Bloom, who's the inspiration of Art Carlson, who was the station manager down at Quixie in Atlanta. Which we've talked about in the other episodes. Yes, Jerry Bloom was, he didn't start it, but he was instrumental in promoting and expanding the Ramblin' Raft Race on the Chattahoochee River in Atlanta. Throughout the 70s was an annual event that plagued the city of Atlanta, but all the people that were involved in it had a blast. 20,000 people on floats in the river, 200,000 people on the shores. And it was dubbed Woodstock on the Water. It was crazy. People jumping off their raft, running up into people's yards to use the bathroom. It was right. nuts. So it was crazy. In the mid-70s, it had started out as a fraternity thing, and it was really kind of college-based, and it was, you know, in the in 70, 71. By the mid-70s, it was such a big thing. Jerry Bloom, the main man at the main rock and roll station in Quixie, said, hey, we ought to get in on that. So they became the main sponsor and started promoting the heck out of it amped it up, made it dangerous. There was a lot of danger to it. And they even make that comment, Bailey does, you know, or uh, Johnny does, it might be dangerous. So so Jerry Bloom was involved with that, even to the point Ted Turner brought a raft out in the late 70s. But then by 1981, Atlanta went, no, this We're is done. this is enough. <laughs> You're going to hurt somebody. And the way they stopped it is uh, they could not get a permit to yeah, be on they the just, river. They just would not give them the permit. I, that was my question. How do you stop that many people <laughs> when they show up every year, the same time every year, how, how do you keep them off the river? Don't give them the yeah, permit. Yeah, don't give them a permit. But so, so that was Bailey's idea, but it was just a little shout-out, just a little nod to Jerry Bloom to give him a little, hey, thanks a lot for the you know all the right. stories and all the stuff. So, so then Les walks in. Well, they're, they're sitting around talking and before Les gets in there, and they're starting to get silly. Try, oh, kind of having, springboarding, they're, they're having springboarding off the river idea. They start getting silly about it, and Les enters, and he, start, he hears it. Out of context. And you've got you've got Johnny saying nudity. We need some kind of, uh, with Bailey and, and Jennifer. And, and then, blow up the building. Then they're going to blow up or burn down the building. Right. And Les just happens to walk in at the tail end of this with his long yellow UPI sheets. And what are, what are UPI well, sheets? UPI is United Press International. And when I first started at my first radio station, 1980, UPI had these machines out in radio stations all over, and we had one of them. They were fun. It, it's a teletype machine 
that sits in the, it was sitting in the newsroom and you put these big rolls of yellow paper in it, feed it through, and it's got a, a just a, a dot matrix printer in there that's constantly printing news. Okay. I don't know where it was coming from, but it was coming from UPI and it was reports from all over the world. You'd have the world roundup, you'd have the sports roundup, you'd have top headlines. It just kept coming through, coming through, coming through on these big, long sheets, this one constant thing. And there would be a straight edge there on the UPI machine where you'd go over and rip the news. And you'd see, okay, I want this story, I want this story. And you'd take your straight edge and go rip, rip, rip. And you'd wind up carrying around these long sheets of paper that might have a news story on it. It might have all the sports for the afternoon on it or something. So Wes, Wes walks in with those. And it okay. gave, me, gave me a little warm, fuzzy flashback to, because you don't do that now. It's all in computer screens. There's no, no UPI. Right. So he walks in and he just hears some things that are kind of scary sounding to him. And he... He leaves. He takes off. And we and did a scan. We, we looked and did not see a bandage at this time. You were watching. You I even was watching. You I commented. Checked. I said, I don't see a bandage. It's not on his forehead. It's not on his face. Uh, I bet it's somewhere. But we know. He's holding the sheets. It's probably on his hand somewhere. Now we leave the programming office, head into Art's office. And this is a cut to continuity because Les goes right from programming into Art's office. Only <laughs> not right in. <laughs> when we're back in Art's office now, again... The wall monitor is still mounted right down on the wainscoting. So this is still from the same shoot as the earlier scene that we saw in his office. Ah, okay. So Art Carlson's got his feet up on his desk, and he's working hard reading a fishing magazine. Oh, of course. And he hears this little tap, tap, tap on his door. So meek. It's like somebody... doesn't know what it is. Tapping a pencil in the next room or something. It's just nothing to it. He's looking around like, "What? what is that? And he realizes, oh, it's somebody at the door, and it's He calls him in. And so Les goes in and pulls up the chair to sit with uh, Mr. Carlson and, and tell him this this news he's just found out. And Les is concerned something terrible is going to happen to the station. So I thought it was weird, but you said, and you know, very very rightly so, it, it worked with Les and with what he wanted to say. But it struck me as odd when you think about it to sit behind a desk with someone. Right, to sit on the same to, side of the desk as them and next to them, them. instead of across from them. Right. But it's for the audience, is, the, is the, getting that structure. But they right. did it very nicely. But Les was, uh, uh, Mr. Carl's, it was so such dire news that he had to tell him he wanted to be up close and personal. And then, and then. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Left hand pinky finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Okay, so Les is, he is seriously concerned about the station being blown up or burned down uh, or, and as he says... At the very least, I believe this group plans to come to work naked. Having worked with Les for years and years, Mr. Carlson kind of knows that Les tends to blow things out of proportion and might be a bit of a conspiracy guy. He said, you know, that Les tried to tie Elvis and Bing, which Les just the previous con- year. Les was uh, surprised. Conspiracy guy, really? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and Carlson, you know, because the previous year in August and October, we'd lost Elvis and Bing. And, you know, when you lose your one name music stars, that's that's a tragedy. So uh, Les, Les thought maybe it was a, There's a conspiracy. There's something going on. Remember the way you broadcast Bing Crosby's death? First Presley, now Crosby. Just a coincidence, I wonder. So Herb enters and he's, he's like, Les, get out, you know, move it. And what's funny is Herb not having the same motivation as Les, but he sees the chair there on the same side of the desk as Art. He just sits down in it. He's like, got some news for you, big guy. I think he kind of so, likes being right next to the yeah, big guy. He's yeah. brown-nosing well, well, his way know, up to him. Well, you know, because Art kicked him out in the last scene. He was sitting in his chair. So yeah. I think he likes being <laughs> on that side of the desk. He probably does. But his big news is they've, they've lost another account. The Bo Peep safety shoe account. So all of those... Something else for old people. All those oh, just elderly, elderly products and services and all the things that rock and roll does not cater to are, are washing out. Um... But so as they're sitting there, Jennifer enters. Jennifer comes in to announce that there is a Mr. Wayne R. Coe to see him. Which, of course, Art doesn't want to see anybody. Yeah, I don't want to see him. All right, I'll tell him you're dead. (laughs) Golly, isn't she good? (laughs) 
But then Herb, Herb being the ever the sales manager, this guy might be a new customer. Herb kind of overrides Art, and Lonnie now escorts this gentleman right. Wayne R. Coe into Carlson's office. And he Wayne R. Coe is played by the actor Richard Stahl, and Richard we have Stahl a new is Richard Stahl is launching another of our new, new features. Another one, the committee connection. The committee connection. The committee, you remember we mentioned in the prologue, and we've talked about it, I'll probably mention it several times, but the committee was a very influential improv troupe out of San Francisco in the 60s and 70s, and Howard Hessman was a very uh, big part of that for many, many years. So he became good friends with a lot of these incredibly talented improvers at the committee. And what was happening at WKRP they would write these one-off characters that would show up in a single episode or a couple of episodes, and they would need somebody that could do a very sharply drawn comedic character and really invest it with some life. And Howard Hessman would say, I know a guy, or I know a woman. I know somebody that can do this. And it would be these connections that he had with the committee, hence our feature, The Committee Connection. And usually the people he suggested were perfect for they the part. They killed it, because... Yeah, I, I'm fascinated and in awe of really good improvers. I have tried it before. Mm-hmm. I've even helped coach an improv team. And anybody that is a really good improv performer, just my jaw drops seeing them. Because an improver can get so into a character and invest it with so many unique details and real depth and do it in just a few seconds, just off the cuff, create this character. So all of these characters, and I've found now... As I've been, I'm I'm watching ahead a few episodes and saying, when somebody comes on the screen that really stands out, I'll go looking them up in IMDb, and sure enough, in the trivia, it'll be member of the committee. Of the committee. So this is our new so that's our the Howard new feature connection there. The committee connection. And Richard Stahl has a lot of IMDb credits. He's been in a lot of movies. He's a very recognizable and memorable character. He's got a unique look, and he's got a great delivery, and he's but. As Wayne R., I love some of these little comments he makes. We're a determined fringe element that cannot be counted upon to do the sensible thing. (laughs) So he's implying anarchy. He's implying rebelliousness, but it just doesn't fit him. So, of course, Art, not wanting to have any interaction with anyone, especially not a confrontation, uh, immediately says, Mr. Carlson's dead. And he and Herbert Vampin, and they're trying to come up with something. And is it a piano dropped on him? Well, Waynar's not buying any of this. He's not buying that, no. So then Art decides, all right, he's Carlson and points at Herb. And it sets up the most hilarious interchange. He's Carlson. (laughs) Mr. Carlson, failing government support, my group goes immediately to Plan B. What's that? That's a secret. Let's just say we plan to bring this station to its knees. I'd like to see you try it. (laughs) Those are fighting words, Mr. Carlson. Well, I will not be intimidated, particularly by the likes of you. This is war, then. Up your nose, Mr. Coe. (laughs) You don't know who you're dealing with. Yeah, well, neither do you, Dumbo. He's Carlson, you jerk. You people are in real trouble now. Who cares? How'd I do? <laughs> All right, that is just fast-paced. It's loony. It's, and they deliver it so deadpan, they so They work droll. together so well there. It just, it just bam, 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 bam. And I'm just, every time I hear it, I'm dying. I'm just rolling on the floor. Uh, but I, I love it when Herb's like, who cares? <laughs> I love that. Who cares? Another little interesting little tidbit of information one of the things that Wayne R. demands WKRP do, they need to drop their rock and oh, roll, yeah. go back to playing the music that they were playing, and apologize publicly to Lawrence Welk on the air. Well, now you're going to have a bunch of people. Oh, Lawrence Welk, who's that? If you're under That's... 40, you may not know Lawrence Welk. Lawrence <laughs> Welk, he was from North Dakota, American born German immigrant of a, of a German immigrant family, so he had a very strong accent. I never knew he wasn't American, no. or he was well, American. I, I didn't either, because of his accent. Because of the I accent. He came but he somewhere. grew up in a German-speaking town, so he had that influence. But he actually produced one of the most popular 
um, beautiful music kinds of variety programs. The Lawrence Welk Show. The Lawrence Show Welk Show with the champagne music and the bubbles. From 1951 to 1982. I, I had no idea it had gone on so, that long. So this is in 1978. Lawrence is at the height of his powers. He's got this incredibly popular show on Sunday night. He is the man when it comes to the champagne music and this beautiful music. And the other interesting yes, little yes, note. Yes, bring that up. Lawrence Welk produced his show at KTLA Studios, right there where they were the producing their show, WKRP which I thought that was cool. And right. I'm just wondering, did Richard Stahl happen to walk by Lawrence Welk's dressing room or something and thought, oh, that'd be funny. Let's say they have to say, Could apologize be. to Lawrence Welk. Could be. So. And I like the fact that Lawrence Welk uh, was married for 61 years <laughs> to the same woman. So he had to be a pretty nice guy. He was guy. a good guy. A one and a two and a 61 and a 62 and that was on his license plate. A one and a two. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Enough about Lawrence. <laughs> uh, I That's remember. I remember watching him though with my oh, grandparents. Yeah. And I told you. I said what was so funny is they loved Lawrence Welk, and then they also loved Hee Haw. And sometimes so. they were counter-programmed. <laughs> they would be counter-programmed on different stations in a market. Right. Right. So I was. Yeah. I was exposed to both. A, a wide variety of. The music thing I there. always remember about Lawrence Welk for me was that was when I heard the opening notes of Lawrence Welk, that was the reminder that it's Sunday night and I don't have my homework done. Oh, better get up yeah. to your room and that, do it. That and the tick, tick, tick of the 60 minutes clock. That, both of the, both I of remember those, that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so. All right, so so we hit our, we hit our first commercial break here. Um, we come back from commercial break. It is now the next day. The next day. And if you remember, Wayne R. threatened them. He said, if you don't meet our demands we're going to plan b so what's that that's a secret we, it's, a it's a secret, secret. we're going to find out we start off the the scene in art's office the the next morning jennifer's yes. with him and jennifer comes in and says hello mr carlson good morning here are your messages which he promptly throws in the trash right in the trash doesn't, doesn't, doesn't look at a single look one at him. and there's there are several there and they're working on the going back to the whole idea of the dumb blonde smart blonde the dumb jennifer smart jennifer i've never seen a dumb jennifer moment and here they are talking about art saying if i were to put another door in here where would you put it right he didn't have time to look at his messages he wants no, to he's got to figure this. out he's got to figure out an escape hatch so jennifer totally in tune with mr carlson's needs as a general manager of a radio station comes up with the perfect place for a door a she place goes along with the he discussion can and yeah. helps him and makes him feel like, yeah, this is worth discussing. This is important. But but she has the perfect spot for a door where he, if things get too tough in the station, he can just escape into the hallway and he's gone. And <laughs> so. then Mr. Carlson tries to compliment her and, and says, oh, I bet all... Uh, I bet a men notice... Men um, notice uh, your... Uh, uh, yeah. Right, and gets very tongue-tied and embarrassed. And then that's a great place for Andy to Andy, enter. Andy bails him out. But Jennifer is so cool about it. I mean, obviously, Jennifer's lived her whole life with men stumbling over themselves and stammering and unable to get and and just what Art's doing. Oh, yes, I and know exactly how she feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, it, and it's just she's so <laughs> cool about it. She's so cool about it. He tries to apologize and she's like, I understand. And it's he fine. just fumbles. Yeah. So he's relieved when Andy enters to talk to him and Jennifer, he... He kind of escorts her to the door, and you talked about I, this. You, know, you brought this up. All right, up. being being a male, they're on the opposite side of the, the on the other side of the office from where and, the door is. And watching him put his hands on her the way he did, he he just grabbed her arm, her and elbow, really or whatever, propelled her across the room, and it really struck me as, ooh, that's not good. You shouldn't be doing that. And, and but back then, I don't know if it I was, don't know that it, it was quite right as at the beginning of the whole. Yeah, I, I don't know that I it was woman, quite. Hear me roar thing, but quite as obviously. Uh, but I would not be comfortable getting into someone's personal space like that, especially you know propelling them, pushing them across the room. I mean, it uh, it obviously moved the action right. along, but as a as a business practice, it did not seem like a great idea to be touching an employee that way and pushing them around it just kind of struck me but i think right. probably and, that's and, you know, the difference between notice, now and 40 years ago i didn't even notice that i was just and i might be more i might be more sensitive to it or aware yeah. of it being a man because i'm aware of i don't want to be perceived as too aggressive or right. perceived as too you know just whatever it might be I, I'm, I'm always aware of those things and i saw him do that and thought "Ooh, 
art. Don't do that. Right. So since this is the day after um, Wayne R. Co. came. Well, Wayne said the F word. Wayne Wayne said the F word in their offices. He said FCC. And said he was going to have them shut down. So Andy has had time to check this out. He claimed, uh, Wayne claimed they'd filed a petition with the FCC demanding that the format be changed. So Andy found it and found out it had 12 signatures on it. And one of them was a repeat. Somebody signed twice. Right. (laughs) So they were relieved that, okay, it's, that's not really a threat. Yeah, it's, that's not. If you have if you have thousands of signatures on an FCC position, they might take it seriously and it might cause trouble for the station. But twelve is not going to hurt anybody. So. so then Jennifer comes in. I think you better have a look at the lobby. Uh, I, I've seen the lobby before, Jennifer. Thanks. <laughs> so we move to the next scene where they come bursting through the door to go out into the lobby. And they see the protesters. And there is Mr. Wayne R. Coe with some of his friends, a small group of friends protesting. They want their old music back. Yes, and they're holding signs, play something slow. It's the same battle-savvy bunch that shut down Bingo in Wapokoneta. They hate rock and roll, right. And, and they and uh, uh, Andy was not in on that meeting when Wayne R. showed up the day before. He didn't realize the ill treatment that Herb and Art right. had, had, you know, how they had treated Wayne R. And Mr. Wayne Cole R. brings it up. No, I came here yesterday to talk quietly. I was insulted, threatened, and abused. And Andy was a little shocked. <laughs> and Art kind of looks around like, what, what? what are we talking about? And but the th- protesters are chanting. Heck no, we won't go! Heck no, we won't go! Which, you know, Abby Hoffman and the protesters in the 60s was a lot of hell no, we won't go. Yeah, and a lot this of, is the G-rated saltier version. saltier language. The G-rated version yeah. of that. Two of the protesters are credited in the show and have lines. The rest of them don't say there anything. There are like six or seven of them, but only two of them Only two get, get credit because right. they actually speak. The rest of them are entirely uncredited. If you know any of those people that were in that group, please provide us with names. That would be fun to get those names well, of the people that were in the group. Because didn't you say sometimes he would just grab some, uh, uh, and, and this is an common, extra cameraman? Or, this or, is common in a lot of shows, a lot of sitcoms. They'll, they'll use people that are around the set, like uh, just a go writer. Sit there. We need somebody sitting there. A writer, just, a story right. editor. Um, I know on Seinfeld, a lot of times there are body doubles for all the performers that they the body double goes out and stands in position while they do the lighting so the actor can be in makeup or can be studying their lines or whatever a lot of times they would take these body doubles for the different people in the shows and they would wind up being in the crowd in the background sometimes so it's possible they've drawn you know from people just around the set and we're going to see in later episodes there, uh, Hugh Hugh Wilson makes a cameo oh, as a cop. Right. That's right. Bill Dial shows up as a so they pull from the not necessarily just the professional actors. They're pulling from people backstage and other places and so drawing them that out there. Might have been what they did in this this section. Yeah, but here. if anybody knows names of any of those people that aren't named, we'd that love are the to protesters. Know. Yeah, but the two that are named, I just fell in love with. We've got a, a man and woman. Uh, the first one to speak is four foot ten inch Nidra Voles, who is playing Mrs. Burston, and she's holding this big, long haired white giant cat. White cat, and I'm thinking she's four ten, so she's small anyway. But still, this is a big cat. Yeah, There's the a cat lot of looks cats really big next to her. Yeah, but she she has an amazing, interesting career, and that's what's fun digging into these people, finding you know some of these backgrounds and right. And, and when I saw her, I said, "Now I've seen her. Where have I seen her before?" And you looked it up. She's been in a ton of stuff. And what the facts of life. She well, yeah. Um, no, no. Is that ac- what I remember? No, actually, not the facts of life. It was different strokes. She took oh, over when Charlotte Ray left. Different strokes. Remember, she was the housekeeper for Gary Coleman and the Why and Willis did I say and the facts whole thing. Of life. Okay. So she left to go beyond facts of life. That's and when why. she left different strokes for Facts of Life, they hired a new housekeeper. So Nidra, Nidra became, was the new housekeeper. Took her part. Okay. And she was on there for a couple of years as the housekeeper on Different Strokes. But but on uh, her her career started out. She was born to vaudeville parents in the early 1900s. 1908, I think she was born. And in the first couple of years of her life, they started putting her on stage as Baby Nidra. <laughs> and she wound up into her early 20s. She was a singer. She was a band leader. She did all kinds of performing and things. But uh, in, a 19, in the mid-1940s, she retired from that to have kids and did not get back into acting until she was 65. And she was most prolific and that was in, in the this 70s. era. Yeah, in the 70s. So. 
In this era, she was most prolific, and she's got a, if you look her up on IMDb, she's got a whole long list of credits, both movies and TV. Uh, she's just been in a ton of stuff. So, but she she had a lot a lot of fun with her cat, uh, and and uh, just complaining on this episode of KRP. Yes, they um, want they want justice. justice. Justice was her line and some slow one of music. her lines. But then the other guy that has a spoken has a, has a line out this of the group. This guy's amazing. This is my man. Yeah, and I don't know D E L O S is his first name. I've been pronouncing it Delos. Delos V. Smith is his name. He's playing the character Buzzy Milker. Girls. This guy, the thing that got me interested in him on his IMDb page, there's just a little bitty bit of information that says Delos V. Smith bequeathed his fortune of $20 million, or he, he, he left it as a, as a trust, to a senior citizen center in his hometown of Hutchison, Kansas. He gave him 20 mil. He's the guy with the beard and big, the mustache beard. and the big long beard. And they, what, what do you guys want? And he says, girls. 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 With one word. Girls. He just killed. Delos is very interesting. So what, what did you find out about his schooling? Probably the, the, the premier thing on his resume. He was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. He played the inmate Scanlon with basically the same beard and hair. He, I don't think he's wearing the glasses, but he's wearing the same beard and hair. And that character, he not only played that character in the movie with Jack Nicholson, and there are several publicity stills of him standing right by Jack, he also then did that character on stage in several different stage productions uh-huh. of One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. He did grad school work at Harvard and also was trained at the Sorbonne in Paris, France. He's a serious, serious actor. But what blows my mind about yeah, him... Yeah, the, the favorite thing about him... Is that he... he well, he met ha- a young lady in the 50s he, and lived with her for a while. He was a housemate of Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. He in lived the 50s. with... Just as a roommate. Just as a roommate. They were just friends. Right. But, but he was her date when when she was invited to President Kennedy's birthday party where she sang... Happy birthday, Mr. President. And he was there. Escorted by Delos V. Yes. Smith. <laughs> so. uh, it's just like, who is this guy? He's, uh, he's huge. But, <laughs> but uh, there's very little information about him on IMDb. Uh, they don't even have his picture on IMDb. But if you go to the Wayne or the, the Delos Smith uh, Senior Center in Hutchinson, Kansas website, there is a biography of their benefactor mm-hmm. there. And uh, one of the things that they said was he lived out his final days. He, he uh, passed away in 1997 at age of 91. But he lived out his final days in Hutchison. He was known for walking around wearing his Scanlon beard. So the beard that we're seeing in this episode. And right. he liked to wear T-shirts with four-letter words on them. So, <laughs> <laughs> but he this was guy, quite the character. This guy was an amazing character. I'm so glad we got to meet him in this episode. That was a lot of fun. All right, so we, now we go into the so studio. So we leave the lobby, go into the studio where <laughs> Dr. Johnny Fever is on the air. And the old folks have started wandering the station. Also, Johnny mentions it's 10.15 a.m. Which I think seems late for a morning show. I've I've mentioned this last episode that uh, usually most morning shows are four hours. They usually start at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. And they're normally over what is called drive time, which they're just trying to be in your car when you're in your car getting to work. So that's the when the morning show is happening. And most morning shows are four hours, so you usually expect one to end at like 9.30 or 10. And here's Johnny on the air at 10.15. Yes. So we don't know how long he's having to work. And he's playing a Rolling Stones song, Lies. So I, I love the way he... he Leads or comes, comes out, out of, of that. Song. Yeah, it comes out of that one. And yeah. It, yeah. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? He comes out of Lies, which is on the Some Girls album, and then he goes into on the other turntable, old time rock and roll, and then kind of goes to sleep. He just you know kicks, kicks back in the studio, closes his eyes. Right. He's got got his got his sunglasses on, and that's when Buzzy and Mrs. Burston come in. They just walk right in. He's on the air. They don't care. They walk right in. Mrs. Burston has her little umbrella, and she... And it makes this great clang sound. Oh, it's awesome. Those are old Harris turntables, and those platters are just big, heavy chunks of metal. And, and that is what like, they sound like. Like hitting the gong. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is that is what that thing sounds so like. So Johnny just cracks shoots up. up. That wakes him up. <laughs> 
Well, it also stops the song, which is yes. which is really bad when you're on the air. You make some kind of excuse. We're having technical difficulties, people. I'll be back. Uh, get this taken so, care of. So when he shuts that off and turns around to talk to them, they're now off the air. There's they're, nothing there's going out air. over WKRP. Right. But then he makes a makes the threat. I think you should know that I've killed a lot of old people in my time. <laughs> so they run away, but not before Mrs. Burst, and she's somehow lost her cat now. And yeah, she has, between the lobby and the studio. Yeah. yeah. So then, so after, after Johnny gets dispatches them, they're gone. Then he grabs their first record where Lies had been playing, and flips it over and starts playing um, Shattered, Shattered. D- 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 which Shattered. is which is on the other side. Lies is the last song on the on side one of the Some Girls album, and then Shattered is the last song on side two of the Some Girls album. But what I was wondering was the the. Uh, Number one hit off that album was Miss You, and they don't play that one. And, and I, remind me, Miss You, what, what is the line that, in Miss You? The, that's the one that, that uh, Mick the, says. They're going to come around the with some Puerto Rican girls that's just died Okay, I never knew that that's, I never knew the title of that that's, song. That's Miss You, and that is, okay. that is a number one hit off of the album. Neither Lies nor Shattered. Lies wasn't even single, and Shattered only peaked in the top 40. It wasn't a huge, huge hit, so they were able to get him cheaper. To get two ah. Stone songs, you don't go for the number one hit. You're not going to get satisfaction. But those were popular. People knew them. They knew them. They were, yeah. they were known enough. And also, Fever does not play the hits. He likes to go for the album cuts. So right. Johnny recovers, and we get, we get back into some Stones. And now we cut back to Carlson's office, and... This is that odd scene that we noticed. This this one starts off with the phone ringing. Right, and, and he picks the phone up uh, that's on his desk. The black phone, and, and it he, doesn't stop the ringing. It, it rings again, and then he's like, oh, hangs that one up, opens the drawer, and pulls out a red phone. The red phone, which is dun, dun. obviously a joke about the whole Moscow to Washington hotline. And he which, just picks it up and says, hello, mother. Hello, mother. So he she's, knows she's the only one to that She's that got number. a hotline into the station. Um, and Art tells her everything's fine, but she can't come down to the station because you remember the protest is going on in the other room, so he doesn't yes. want her showing up. What? You're coming to? No, you can't come, Mother. You can't and come. It, and he's, why? he's uh, vamping, trying to come up with an excuse. We're, we're closed. closed. Right. Well, why would we be closed? Well, Andy happens to have walked in by this point and supplies him with the fictional uh, uh, holiday why WKRP is closed. It's Chuck Berry's birthday. Which is actually October 18th. And this air date was September 25th. So Andy's lying. Right. But it was coming up. Mama wouldn't know. Nah, Mama's not going to know. So so that that was the, that and, was the and reason. Even, even Carlson's like, who's, who's Chuck after, Berry? After he hangs up, he's like, who's Chuck Berry? But, <laughs> but okay, now, in this in this scene, right. this is where if you look at Art's desk, the pipe caddy and those flags that we saw, the Ohio flag and the American flag, are both gone. Suddenly they've disappeared. And they've this disappeared. And like... A matter of hours oh, later. Oh, this is the same day. This is the same yes. day that we saw Art in his office throw his, his messages away. This is that same day. Now the speaker on the wall has moved up. It is where it should be now, kind of centered in that panel up off of the wainscoting. And I have you a have theory. You have a theory. I have a theory about this. this happened. You remember that the lady that played Mama in the pilot was not appreciated According to Hugh Wilson, by the cast or the the writers of the show, she was not a favorite. She was not easy to work with. They no, say. no. They said she was hard to work with. She was unpleasant. And I'm just wondering because this looks like they shot this on a very different day. Obviously, they had redone set decoration. They'd moved that speaker. It was much later or at a much different time versus all the other Arthur Carlson office scenes that they shot this. And I'm wondering. If there might have been an, a scene shot with Mama actually there, and they decided, no, no we, don't we don't want, want her in the Sylvia show anymore. Sydney anymore. Now it's Mama on the phone. We don't have to pay her a thing. She, we just, you can't see her. You right. can't hear you don't her. Hear her. So I'm wondering, I would love to know the truth of that. I ha- I've searched and searched trying to find that and have uh, no idea if that's true. But I think that may be maybe, the reason. Maybe. because But we like looking at stuff like that. Um, and we're... Like we're picking it apart big time. Hopefully that's why you're here uh, listening to us. So. <laughs> so after this, we go back to the lobby and we see Jennifer coming in through the door. 
and she's walk crossing to her desk. The protesters are still there. Even Bailey is trying to get them drinks and things. She's getting them water and coffee, tea and they're and just water. being tea uh-huh. tea, they're just being so accommodating to these little old people that are there, you know, protesting and being so nice. But Jennifer walks in and she's got a magazine in right, her hand. Right, right. And I said, "Hey, what what magazine and, do and you we, think she's reading?" We I was just froze curious. it. What would Jennifer read? We froze it. We're looking at it. We're turning it upside down. We're thinking, and it it was Vogue. So then I did a search. Thank you, Pinterest. We did a search for Vogue magazine covers from 1978. And there it was, July, Farrah Fawcett. The smiling face on there was Farrah Fawcett on the cover. And so Jennifer was reading a July Vogue magazine uh, in that scene. Right. I don't know why that (laughs) caught my eye, but I just wanted to know what she was reading. Oh, and that's that's where Buzzy and Jennifer have the great interaction. I'm not as old as I look. (laughs) Really? Are you any richer than you look? <laughs> so Jennifer's dealing pretty well with the protesters. Uh, and here comes Les now into the building. And I guess Les, now, it's got to be like close to 11, right? I would think so because it was 10, 15 when they... When Johnny was in the studio. Johnny was in the studio and got the and, umbrella and now it's, on the now, And we were in Art's office for a while. And so now probably coming up on 11 o'clock. 10, and here comes Les. Les is just showing up, and you get a good shot of the address on the door that's coming into the lobby, 1412. Which would indicate they're on the 14th floor. Of the Flynn Building. Of the Flynn Building, and the Cincinnati Inquirer Building, which the Flynn Building is, that's the exterior that we're looking at every time we see those shots, was a 14-story building. So that would make sense. So Les comes in, and he wants to know what's going on, being the newsman that he is. And so he goes right into Carlson's office, and he says, hey... Well, what's going on out there? Well, your worst fears have been realized, Les. That group out in the lobby, they're Cubans. But Les, the ever, the consummate newsman. I mean, we're talking Silver Sow Award winner here. Yes, yes. Les realizes it's news, and he'd better go get his tape recorder. And Andy's in the office still. And, at, and at first, they're going to stop it. Both of them are trying to stop it. I better go get my tape recorder. I better go get that. No, no, Les. So, and then Andy, a light bulb and goes Because Andy and on. Art have been worried up to this point about hiding this thing. They don't want Mama to know. They don't want anybody to know what's yeah. going on. And, and Les makes Andy realize there's your publicity stunt. Here it is. The publicity stunt. And it is free. So Andy grabs the phone, calls. He's trying to get newspapers, TV stations, get all the news media down to cover. And he tells Les, go get your microphone. Go get your tape recorder. Yeah, this is news. So now Andy's got his stunt. He walks out in the lobby. And all the protesters are leaving. They got bored. <laughs> they're tired of saying, heck no, we won't go. Well, and, and I think they're Wayne... They're headed to the airport. I think Wayne R. is more dedicated to the protesting than his flock. He seems to be the one that's really adamantly committed to it. Uh, he even brags about they shut down... Where was that? Wapanetka? Wapokoneta. The bingo game. I looked they, it up. It's they a, stopped the bingo it's, because... It's a city in Ohio that I think they used it just because it's a funny name, Wapanetka. Wapokoneta. It is a uh, funny name. But it is like 180 miles away from Cincinnati. I don't think they were there I shutting know, down bingo. I don't know. loaded them onto a little bus eh, and maybe, taken them up. <laughs> maybe Wainar's got a van, but boy, that's a long haul to be shutting down bingo. Bingo in Wapokoneta. So they were heading to the airport to uh, chase the Hare Krishnas. Hare Krishnas out of the, out of the airport. <laughs> Which, have you ever seen Never. A, a Hare Krishna? Never. Me I've neither. seen pictures, and, and I I've remember... seen them in movies. Okay, in, in this time, right about this time, is when I started really watching comedy and started watching variety shows and started watching stand-up comics and I started watching mm-hmm. Johnny. And the Krishnas were such fodder for stand-ups. Oh, right. You'd yeah. hear jokes about them all the time, and they're coming up to you. With, I guess they sold little flowers as a fundraiser they in the airports. The, the yellow robes. Or yellow or orange. Or, or they'd orange. be brightly colored robes. And, and they had that one... The ponytail. Ponytail coming, coming out. out of a bald head, out of a shaved yeah. head, and then yeah, this yeah. one long braided ponytail. And I've seen all those pictures, and I guess they used to have the permission of airports 
to walk around the airports and sell those things. Now, and there's were even, they of the Hindu? They are Hindu. They, Hindu. they are Hindu. Okay. And and I, I, in my head, and looking this up, I was able to separate it out, but in my head, I crossed them over with the Moonies, with Sun Young Moon followers. I remember them, too. But well, I never very, saw very one, different. but I remember. But yeah, yeah they're, both, they're two different camps going on. But I remember there's even a joke in the movie Airplane, which is a fave of ours. Yeah. The, the Krishna is chasing Stryker through the airport. That's right. They're That's trying, right. They're, and they start you know doing the O.J. Simpson thing, jumping over things in the airport like the Hertz commercials so they even got a got a Krishna joke in there but I've never actually seen live and in person no, me, Krishna me supporters at an airport but Buzzy's gonna go kick them out let's go chase the Hare Krishnas out of the airport again <laughs> they're all heading out and Andy convinces them to stay they're like well I don't know well and hey the TV the stations newspaper. are coming you'll be on TV oh well, we okay and, then. And Wayne R is really suspicious, but you can't fight City Hall. They all so want to be on TV. So they start chanting, heck no, we won't go. <laughs> and it fades they out on that. publicity stunts. And then, And then we go to our final commercial break. We don't get to see the press conference or any of the mayhem because that would be extras and a whole lot of expensive stuff to show right. us. So we just get the implication that it happened, and now it's... In the evening sometime. Everybody's gone home except for Mr. Carlson. Who's now at Jennifer's desk. And, again, here's this problem with how do we include Venus in scenes? Well, here comes Venus, there for his shift. He walks in, he kind of stomps on some stuff that's on the floor. And he's like, oh, kind of surprises him. Mr. Carlson's sitting there. He's all disheveled. His shirt's out of his pants and his tie's crooked. And and you got to remember, art. think of art earlier in the day doesn't want to interact with anyone and now here he is after this big afternoon of activity yes, he looks exhausted but okay with it he seems pretty cool with right, it. right and and he was telling he thinks it might have done some good yeah we had a group of crackpots standing over there they were they were attacking everything they were attacking rock and roll wkrp me and pay toilets <laughs> it may have worked for the station and venus even says well maybe somebody's listening yeah i better get in there because somebody might be listening yeah so. And and Mr. Carlson says, oh, they, they just might. So, so okay, it's now I'm guessing for Venus, and again, I'm, I'm always looking at the radio side of it. How does this all fit? An evening guy's board shift will run a little longer a lot of times. They can be five or six hours because it's a much lower uh, impact kind of shift to work. You don't have as many sponsored things. You're not doing traffic reports and all that kind of stuff. So it's possible Venus was coming in for like a 7 o'clock shift, and maybe he's on 7 to midnight. And then maybe they've got an overnight guy that works midnight till 6 a.m. because that's a real low-impact shift. Then Johnny's back on at 6. So so that's that's what I think Venus is coming in for. So he's heading in. So you got to figure now it's 6.30, 6.45 in the station. Arthur's trying to catch his, uh, catch his breath, relax. He goes Things into his quiet office. quiet now. He can kind of relax a little bit. And, of course, we get the call back to Mrs. Burston's cat. And you got to figure, we're talking now eight hours later. This cat's been wandering the studio or the, right. the station. Nobody has seen it. And it's <laughs> a huge, long-haired, white cat. That and somehow uh, it's been... It's been hiding somewhere. So Mr. Carlson walks into his office, swings his chair around, sits, and we get the freeze, meow, cat and sound effect. And slapstick humor right there. Do this very slapsticky thing, which Hugh Wilson talks about several times about how the CBS notes kept saying, we need more visual gags. We need bigger, broader, more visual gags. And this is one of those. And Hugh Wilson hated these. He right. said they just felt they felt cheap and they felt, you know, lowbrow. And but it made me laugh. It, it, it catches you. I, I don't know. The, the, the sound effect and then Mr. Carlson's facial expression and he's like all jumping back up and they freeze it, it and he and cracked and, me up and gordon jump does a great job with that physical humor he was fantastic and it's funny and you and the first time you watch it you're not ready for it we've watched it multiple times so now we're looking going well there's obviously no cat in that yeah. chair it's yeah all, but you're not looking at but that it, but it's also one of the best gags to do with just a sound effect right you know you can do that in it and it get a good laugh and everything and no and animals were harmed right, in the making right. of no no cats episode. were no cats were sat upon but that request for more visual humor actually pushes Hugh Wilson to do more and more of this stuff and we'll see some of these in other episodes it which culminates with which culminates with the fish story episode which yes. is going to be fun when we get to that one right so that's it that's the end of uh, pilot part 2 um, we've capped 
capped it off. Where are we headed next week? Uh, episode three, Less on a Ledge with my guy, Featuring Les. your man. Yeah. All right. So join us next week for a Less on a Ledge, another WKRP cast. That is going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. We want to thank you for joining us. Remember, if you want to watch along, you can always stream WKRP from the CBS All Access app. There is a subscription required for that. You can also buy it streaming by the episode or by the season from Amazon. But beware, if you buy any copy of WKRP streaming, it is not going to have the original music cues and will most likely be the shortened syndication episodes, which were cut down from 25 to 22 minutes. For full-length episodes with music cues, we recommend you pick up the Shout Factory DVD box set Shout Factory has restored most of the original music cues for their DVD release. You'll find the complete series boxed with a release date of 2014 from Shout Factory. Also, individual Shout Factory seasons were released starting in 2015. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, wkrpcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have any first-hand experience or memorabilia from the production of the original WKRP in Cincinnati, please share. We'd love pictures of items or scans of documents, things like props, costumes, scripts, call sheets, anything from the set would be amazing. There isn't a lot of original documentation about the production of the show out there. We're trying to create an online repository of items. Thanks again for listening to the WKRP Cast. And remember, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. May the good news be yours. WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. I almost got fellow babies. Booger!